0: Amen, amen. Y'all keep your hands clapping. Those truths are not aspirational. They are realities that God in his gospel has provided. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ last weekend, and that resurrection is still true. He got out the grave. So put your hands together for the God who lives, the God who's able, the God who's delivered, the God who is our Redeemer. Amen amen praise god i didn't come up here for that i came up to set up a video hey praise god man but uh welcome to cornerstone church i'm thankful to have every person here um i came here because i want to set up a video and the reason why we're setting up this video because we know and we understand that there's a conversation going on in our world and the conversations that are going on in our world sometimes distract us from god's word and what god says we're so inundated by so much information we forget what God says because we're forgetful people. And so the video we're about to show is not necessarily, I'm not endorsing any of it. Cornerstone's not endorsing any of it. But it's going to engage a conversation that's happening around us. And so if you will, it could be triggering for some. It could be hard for people to hear. And I wore this shirt to distract you from those you know, the stuff. (laughs) So why don't we look at this video real quick and And hear what other people are
1: saying about divorce. I divorced my husband. Why did I divorce my husband? I divorced my husband because I was making a certain amount of money. I divorced my husband because I thought I didn't need him anymore. I divorced my husband because I had this senior position at work and thought I held the same position at home. I divorced my husband because I thought I was better than him because I had my degree now. I divorced my husband because I thought a successful marriage meant I was here and he was down here. That is not success. That's sickness. I found myself divorced and out there looking for love in all the wrong places. F-ing this one and that one and that one and that one and this one and that one. And my body count going up and my value going down. I'm just going to call it like a T.I. is. All the while, my husband done found somebody else building a, a relationship and building a life with them. I should have stayed married to my husband. I felt like I was on this dark road with no street lights, pitch dark, and I couldn't find my way and didn't know which way to go. I felt lost. I felt like I was walking barefoot on that dark road with pebbles and hot rocks sticking my foot. I felt hurt. Uh, I felt alone because every time he and that one and this one and that one left my bed, I was alone all by myself and which was supposed to be soft and comfortable, comfortable for me. My pillow, it was now filled with tears. I should not have left my husband. Love ends because patience ends, kindness ends, compassion ends, judgment starts, yeah. criticism
2: starts, yeah. right? Love doesn't end because it just withered away. It ended because you stopped practicing qualities. The breakup is often the blessing. My first marriage was, was not her fault. It was my fault. I was married too young. I shouldn't have been nobody's husband. I, I learned so much from that. What you see is a direct result of a divorce and then finding that soulmate, locating that one person that just was made just for me. <laughs> just for me. Now, sometimes to get to the person that's just for you, you got to go through a couple bad ones. You can be in love with the wrong person. Everybody in here done been with somebody They had no damn business being with (laughs) And then somehow you end up with the right one.
3: The number one reason people gave for divorcing was this. Pastor, we're just, quote, incompatible. That was their reason. We're just incompatible. Friends, there's no such thing as incompatibility. It's a term made up by divorce attorneys to justify divorce. We're all incompatible because we're all different. Nobody's gonna be completely compatible with you because nobody's exactly like you. So no matter who you're with and who you marry, you're gonna be incompatible. The truth is you can get along with anybody that you choose to get along with and you can choose to love anybody that you choose to love. Now, if I were to summarize thousands of hours of marriage counseling In two words, this is going to save you a lot of money. Here are the two words you need to hear that will make your marriage a success. Grow up! Stop being an irritating little immature, I won't say the word. It's immaturity that causes marriage to die. It's not incompatibility, it's inflexibility. I want what I want and I want it now, and you want what you want, and neither of us are old enough, mature enough, smart enough, spiritual enough to change. And I am willing to let this thing die then than change. And you're willing to let this thing die then change. Has nothing to do with
2: incompatibility God forbid your husband would come home tomorrow and say, I want a divorce. He serves your papers and you divorce inside in ninety days. Would you keep those sixty pounds on? No. Why?
4: because well, I gotta get back out there, I guess.
2: Oh damn, so basically <laughs> you're telling your
0: husband is because the, 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 the prize for
2: you staying in this marriage is me having this additional 60 pounds. But if you were to leave me, I'd lose it.
1: So if you pay women to leave marriages, the more girls are gonna do it. They're paid through child support and through the government. Like when you pay women to make bad yeah. decisions. Every bad decision we make, we're bailed out of. You could be homeless. There's a women's shelter to take care of you. Mm. You could sleep around. You, you can get an abortion to bail you out. Like whatever bad decision women make, there's a bailout. There's incentives. Yeah. Yeah. Like like so, if you're paid to make bad decisions, more women make bad decisions. Yeah. Like they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop till the consequence goes away.
4: So the thing that predicts divorce more than anything is disgust from a place of superiority. Specifically predictive disgust. You know what I mean by that? It's when you're looking out to the future and you're making decisions about their intentions before you have any evidence that anything's happened. Like they're late and you're already mad. You're mad because they're disorganized because they don't value your time because they don't care about you. They're on their phone and you don't have evidence for that. You're just, you're convinced. I mean, it makes sense. Like you have patterns to go off of. Like you've seen them behave that way in the past, but you're taking stuff that's happened in the past and you're projecting it out into the future before you have any evidence. And that is the quickest route to divorce. And I'll tell you why. Because studies have shown that people that get trapped in that way of thinking, they start interpreting neutral and positive behavior through the lens of their negativity. Meaning like they do the dishes and you're pissed. Oh, you can just do the dishes and think that you're supposed to get all these compliments and all these thank yous. What about all the thank yous you haven't given me? What about all the times that I've been doing the dishes that you haven't said a word? Like you're already mad. You're interpreting the positive behavior through the lens of your disgust. And you might be thinking like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just dote over them for every tiny little positive thing that they do? And I want you to pause for a second and evaluate yourself. like. You're working out of past resentments, aren't you? The energy that you're bringing to that interaction of the dishes or whatever, that's not about the dishes, that's about the past. And you need to bring up the past directly instead of indirectly through venting all your anger through the dishes. Predictive disgust through the lens of superiority is the fastest route to splitting up, the fastest route to divorce.
0: Well, it seems like, no, it's always hard to come back from these videos, amen? because they say a lot, and again, it's it's a challenge, because I think that as I step into this topic, um, I recognize that it's very painful for people, that, it, that it's very hurtful for people, and the subject of divorce is, is even debated amongst Christians. It's a hard subject because there's so much nuance to the conversation, but again, we've got to let God be true and every man be a lie. We've got to speak the word of God and we've got to do it carefully and consider all the nuance. And so what I want to tell you today is I got 45 minutes and I can't deal with all the nuance. So what I want to do is I want to start the conversation. Can I do that for us today? And I know that it's going to be hard because I might leave some things out. But I believe God's word speaks clearly to what we should be believing and thinking about divorce. And so if you will, um, you can stand and we're going to open our Bibles up to Matthew 19 and hear what God has to say about divorce and and other subjects as well. Um, And when you get there, say amen. Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and and, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Jesus says this, Haven't you read, he replied, 'Um, uh, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female and he, and he and he also said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they no longer uh, uh, they, they no longer uh, two they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let no man separ- no, no one separate why then they asked him Did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of, of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, Not everyone can accept this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who were born that that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made uh, by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Uh, Thank you for your love. God, we recognize that there's a lot to be said here uh, because it's 12 verses. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross. God, there's nothing that I can add to your wisdom, but Lord, we ask of your wisdom, and you said you were generous to give it, so give it in abundance, Lord, today. Allow us to hear your voice today, and let it, allow us to hear your voice clearly, God. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, because your Holy Spirit is present, so let it speak. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I wanna be honest with you guys today, um, if I can. I struggle with the subject of, of divorce. I've been up really late in the early mornings just, just trying to wrap my mind around it. And And, 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 and I wanna tell you why I struggle with it because I have been impacted by divorce. Now, now it's part of my story. I haven't been divorced myself, but I'm a product of divorce I, I grew up in a single parent home and many of you guys know that but let me tell you why I grew up in a single parent home let me give you the story if I can for a second I didn't grow up in a Christian home that's for one amen I, my mother and my father and this is very hard for me y'all had a very abusive relationship in marriage my father was the abuser um, and I can't think of a moment I was ever safe with my father. My father was mentally, verbally, and physically abusive. He was an angry man. He was, he was so mean. He continued allowed his anger to boil over to a point where it usually ended, up, uh, ended, ended in one of us uh, becoming his punching bag. I was scared of my dad. I was scared of my father. That's hard to admit, but it's true. I remember I was five years old, and this is kind of the, how the story goes, and me and my family were sitting around the TV, me and my siblings and my dad were sitting around the TV, and my mother was gone somewhere, I don't remember, but I was five years old, I'm not supposed to remember, amen? And I remember sitting there, and we were watching the news, uh, we were watching, watching the news and I remember there was a conflict, there was a war going on of some sorts. I don't even remember, I'm five years old, I'm four years old, I'm just watching TV because it's colorful and it's pretty, amen? And I remember there was like some conflict and a war and I remember there were people who were deceased being put in boxes. And I remember my dad turning to us, me and my siblings, and these words still haunt me. He said, if you guys don't start behaving, I'm going to put you in a box too. Man, those were hard words to hear for a four-year-old and a five-year-old, right? Right? You don't process that. And I don't know if I, he was, you know, trying to be mean and just trying to get us to be correct us. Or I, I don't know what his intent was, but his intent, it seemed like it was to harm us. And I believe that. And I believed he was going to harm us. So the next day we told my mother. We, we told her and we, and we ran to her and said, Mom, and I remember my mother's face. I remember her concern. I remember her coming to me, the youngest child in our home, four or five years old, and say, Muhammad," that's my name. Her real name is Muhammad McGovernay. Did your dad really say that? I said, yeah, Mom. And I'm, I have a, I have a vivid way of telling things, right? And I, and I told her all the details because I was an honest kid, at least. You know, I said everything. And I saw the look in her face change, the countenance. And immediately we packed our bags and we left. And we hid from my dad. Eventually, uh, my mom would divorce my dad and she would get a restraining order against him. And I remember... Like, you know, never seeing my dad really again. And I remember finding out later on that he suffered from mental illness, right? That it it made him paranoid. So much so that one day he was put in jail and put in prison for attempted murder. Again, this is a hard story for me to tell because my father's brokenness destroyed my family. It completely crushed us. It just didn't impact me then. And you can tell it's impacting me now. And as a Christian, I have learned the purpose and beauty of marriage. Yes, I have. But, but I have this story where divorce literally saved my life. And I might not be here if my mom was not brave enough to get a divorce from my father. So in other words, I live in attention, Knowing that God desires marriage to be permanent, right? And we should protect it at all times. At the same time, God allows divorce to save people's lives. As I speak, I feel the tension even in this room of the lives of who divorce is impacted, right? The the sermon is not intended to shame anyone, to make anyone feel bad, to, to, to make everybody feel uncomfortable, but it's to care for your souls. Today my hope is to help you deal with this tension because you feel it too and you have stories and you know stories of people who have gone through divorce. You know, you know family members, maybe even your parents, people, friends that are close to you, that bring you tension and it confuses you. Amen or oh me. And you're unsure about God, marriage and divorce. So what I want you to grasp today is just one thing, something simple. That God desires to protect marriage and he desires to protect the innocent from harm. That God desires to protect marriage and he also desires to protect the innocent from harm. In other words, God's desire for marriage is to last a lifetime because it reflects him. It reflects his image. But he doesn't want people to abuse marriage. So he allows for divorce. Today I want us to see that Two things, that God desire, God's desire for marriage and God's desire for divorce. And we're looking at the book of Matthew, Matthew 19 to be exact. And if you understand anything about the book of Matthew, it's written for a Jewish audience, right? You see a, a lot of references to the Old Testament and the law, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the Messiah, Jesus does a lot of teaching in this book, and a a, a good portion of Jesus' teaching is in contrast to the Pharisees and how they interpreted the law of Moses. And as we get to our text today, the Pharisees came up doing what? They tried to to trick Jesus with a question, and the question was centered around the law that Moses gave on divorce. They were trying to bait Jesus into a debate, right? Right? It's like when you're in a barbershop and someone says something controversial, like Mike Tyson's better than Muhammad Ali or something like that, right? Like Martin is better than the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something like that, amen? Those are fighting words in the the (laughs) barbershop. They might start a fight today, amen, after church, praise God. Just let me get it on, on camera so I can post it on YouTube. And they asked Jesus, though, this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And the word any is important because there was a confusion about the intent of the law of Moses on on divorce. There were two dominating views and applications. There was the Shema and the Hillel, which which came from Deuteronomy 24.1. And let me just read Deuteronomy 24.1 for you. It says, if a man marries a woman, but well, she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a, div- a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her on her way from his house. Sounds extremely misogynistic, doesn't it? Let's get the elephant out the room. It does. But here's the thing. There was two understandings, the Shammai and the Hillel. And the Shammai stated a husband could divorce his wife only on the grounds of sexual indecency or some other immodest behavior. But the Halal it was different. It was the dominating view of this time, and it gave husbands free reign to divorce their wives for any reason, anything that they found displeasing about their wives. The Pharisees missed the heart of this law because they were heartless. Moses saw that the wives were being mistreated and the wives were being exploited. And divorce and they were being divorced for any reason. Husbands were just able to make a statement of divorce. They'll walk in the house and, and be like, Man, the house isn't clean. Baby, you gotta move out. The kids aren't fed. You gotta move out. Oh, oh my, 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 my dinner isn't cooked. Baby, you gotta move out. So they were they were they were they were dehumanizing women, they were treating their wives like property. And Moses knew this. So he he wrote a law that's tried to prevent man's sin from taking the full effect. That's what the law does, right? That's what the law is supposed to do. Restrict man from allowing his sinfulness to be utterly sinful. And that's what Moses was trying to do. The the law was, was was, was requiring that a legal letter of divorce would be written. And it made certain provisions for the, for the wife. It forbid husbands from throwing their wives out for any reason. It allowed the wife to remarry. And it made sure the original husband couldn't come back into the picture and do more harm. The law was to humanize wives and protect them from the sinful hearts of their husbands. When I read, read text like this, when I look at texts like this, it reminds me that sin is real, amen? And the treachery of sin is it that it dehumanizes and exploits the vulnerable. Do you understand that? The full measure of sinfulness in this world is exploitation and dehumanization. That people become objects, not people. God goes deeper than behavior. It's buried deep within our customs and our culture. Amen. Amen. And that is what we see Jesus dealing with in Matthew 19. And this is the conversation he's having with these Pharisees. The Pharisees' culture was full of sin and self-centeredness. They took the law of Moses and weaponized it to make them feel righteous. They asked the wrong questions because they had the wrong heart. They assumed divorce was harmless and it doesn't impact God's original plan for marriage. So that's what we get to, God's desire for marriage. When me and my wife started building our house three years ago, I remember we had to learn something really quick, because if we didn't learn really quick, we would be messed up. So we had to learn that we had to watch the general contract and the subcontractors and make sure that they followed the plans, that that they were written out. Amen? Some of y'all know about this. Amen? Because you might end up with less house. Amen? You might end up with a missing door. I remember I took Richard uh, walking through the the house when they were framing it, and Richard was like, man, there's supposed to be a door here, brother. There's a bathroom clearly here. I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, I was going to tell him to fix that. You know how I do. (laughs) But what ends up happening when you don't catch things is you end up with unexpected problems or issues down the line. The same is for marriage. When we, we make change and alter God's purpose, we end up with unintended consequences like self-centered, manipulative, ego-driven, toxic marriages that harm one another. When they ask Jesus this question about divorce, Jesus' response is amazing. It looks like Jesus is just giving them the wrong answer. Amen? They are asking the wrong question. That's the problem, right? Jesus gives them the right answer to to the question they should be asking. The question they should be asking is, why is marriage so important? What's the value of marriage? And their hearts and minds were on the wrong thing. Jesus is like, why are you concerned about divorce? If you knew what marriage was all about, you would be concerned about keeping marriages together. If you really knew the importance and the value and what it's supposed to express, you would be like, man, we got to protect marriages. In our culture, when people are unhappy in their marriages, the conversation is never about Restoring the marriage or keeping people in the marriage, but it's about about reasons to get a divorce. That dominates the conversation as we see in that video. Jesus wants to shape the conversation by giving context. If you want to understand the nature of divorce, you have to understand marriage. If you want to understand the damage that divorce can do, you have to understand the purpose of marriage. It's like trying to piece together a thousand piece puzzle without, the, without the, uh, uh, the picture as a point of reference. It just, you can't do it. If you want to pull your marriage back together, if you want to stop having a marriage that is toxic and evil and self-seeking, you've got to look at God's design. If you wanna guard against divorce, you have to look at what God's purpose for marriage is. Most marriages in the church are failing because they don't live in and out of the reality that God has called their marriages to express. This is what Jesus is pointing to, right? He's pointing the Pharisees to see the beautiful picture and the reality of that marriage is supposed to express. Jesus starts his statement by paraphrasing, really, Genesis 2, 2, 18 through 24. Jesus goes back to God's design for marriage. He's giving the origin story to help them remember the importance of marriage. That God created both male and female in his image. The humanity, what was created in the image of God. Jesus reminds us that God is the creator. He's the designer. He created us in his very image to reflect his image. That's why God created us, so that we would image him. That we would look like our daddy, amen? The very nature of the Godhead. God created us to by his love, to receive his love, to reflect his love to one another. God's nature has always been to sacrifice, share, and concern himself with the welfare of others. I said that last time when I preached about marriage. God's nature has always been that way. And he he created us male and female so that we would uh, be not concerned or overly concerned with ourselves or self-seeking, but that we would give out love, that we would give out care, that we would nurture, that we would serve, that we would think about somebody else besides ourselves.
2: Uh,
0: Then he ends up quoting Genesis 2.24 verbatim to help us see that marriage by design is the greatest reflection of his love and selfless nature. I'm gonna say that again because sometimes people need to realize that, that marriage itself is God's own reflection of his selfless and loving nature. Marriage is God's creation, and it's ingrained in our nature to get married because he created humanity and marriage on the same day. Do you realize that? Every culture has a form of marriage because it's ingrained in who we are. It's not just for Christians. It's for his people, humanity. Marriage is a covenant, and it's supposed to be permanent. It's oneness. It's an intimate commitment. It's a friendship between both spouses. It's a responsibility and a vow to care and nurture one another. It's about receiving one another as God's provision. Marriage is supposed to be priority above all other relationships. And it's about being faithful and your faithfulness to keep your promise to love someone. And as you turn to Ephesians 5, you see marriage is also supposed to express God's greatest act of love and commitment to humanity by sending Jesus to the cross for his bride, the church. That, that it reflects God's Jesus' compassion and God and redemptive qualities to our spouse. Marriage, what I'm getting at is marriage communicates. It talks. It expresses God's love and sacrificial and committed nature. God wants marriage to flourish because it's designed after him. It bears his image. That means it's an act of worship to God. Your marriage is an act of worship to God. This is the picture Jesus is painting to the Pharisees. He's saying, don't focus on divorce. Focus on getting marriage right. Focus on getting marriage correct. We are called to put God and his gospel on display in our marriages. Our marriages are supposed to glorify God. By the way we treat one another. By the way we love and care for one another. By the way we nurture one another. I got to say it again because we have marriages that don't reflect that in our church. What does your marriage communicate? What does your marriage communicate? For the married folk, what is your marriage saying to others? What is it even saying to our single people? When we look at our marriages, what do people see? Do they see love, grace, charity, forgiveness, care, nurturing, safety, and commitment? Or do they see judgment, selfishness, resentment, neglect, harm, and fragility? Single folk, let me ask you a question. Why do you even want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> I see what you. All right. Is it? For, let me ask a question. Is it for your own desires? Is it for your own glory? Is it to, to see that you get your needs met, or is it for God's glory? Is it to reflect your Savior? There are many marriages in our church that need to drop the fantasy of marriage. And realize it doesn't serve your needs and your desires, it serves God. There are so many marriages in the church that are so fractured, so broken, and people are in it for themselves. And this is why the divorce rate in the church is as high as the world. We ask ourselves a question, that's the answer. Marriage is spiritual. There is spiritual warfare in marriages. Spiritual warfare isn't just about what's going on outside of you, it's about what's going on inside of you. It's about what's going on inside of you. We always look at what the devil is doing in our marriage. Man, look, he's up to no good. Oh, there's spiritual warfare. I can feel it. Look to yourself and see what the devil's doing in your heart. Look at what the flesh is doing in your heart. Don't blame something outside of you all the time. Blame what's going on inside of you. Our brokenness creates fractures in our marriage because we are selfish and our desires compete against one another competing desires creates marital conflict it's the spiritual battle within us that brings us in odds with one another we don't need to talk about divorce we need to deal with our internal conflict within how our sin is hurting our covenant and it not honoring the image of god here's the thing sin makes you and your spouse your sin makes you your spouse's biggest critic And you become so self-righteous. You became a righteous judge, and you punish them when they offend the things that you don't want them to do, right? You begin to compete and compare yourself to your spouse. You believe you deserve better than what they're giving you. And you're blind to your own sin. You become so toxic and full of negativity towards your spouse. You go all bad on your spouse, and you hold them to a standard that you won't even keep yourself. Or some arbitrary scale uh, that, that you create, That It's not God's standard. You need to know and you need to deal with your heart. Marriage is about who you worship because it communicates who your God is. And if we're going to keep marriages together, we need to reorient our hearts to uh, to worship someone other than ourselves. And that's Jesus. The gospel reorients our hearts and affections to worship God. To so honor him. It impacts our hearts in such a way that we love and honor our spouse. The gospel helps us repair the ruptures in our relationships with our spouse. It gives us the capacity to see our sin for what it's truly doing and repent of our sin. It gives us the capacity for grace towards other people's sin and to heal from the wounds that sin creates. Much as your attitude and your response towards your spouse. It's not really your, sp- your spouse's fault and what they did, it's what's going on inside of you. We always blame somebody else but by the way we act. If they wouldn't have done this, and I wouldn't have done this, there's no accountability there for yourself. Everybody needs accountability, and it starts when realizing that you are a sinner. And you need the gospel to repair your heart. The problems in marriage start when the heart of each spouse both give in to selfishness. And then that's when the breakdown of the marriage happens. You need to see how many times you are part of the problem, not your spouse. The Bible teaches us to look at the plank in our own eye and don't worry about the speck in the other person's eye. But we're so busy trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. Amen or O oh me. Amen. We see Jesus' desire for divorce as well. So here's how the Pharisees respond to Jesus. He show, and it shows how callous their hearts really are. Jesus quoted God's word, and they still doubled down. They actually misquoted Moses. And, they, and then they misunderstand Moses. Then they say this to Jesus. He says, then why didn't Moses command us to give divorce papers and then send her away? That's how I think they sound in my head. That's how they sound in my head. Weird, yeah, man. Uh, first, Moses did not command divorce. Moses didn't command it. Moses gave boundaries for divorce because he saw how people were being abused and using it to, treat, to threaten people and treat it, and, and, treat, and treat people like they're punishing them. Threatening your spouse with divorce is a threat to harm them and to, and to harm the marriage. It's using divorce as a punishment. Divorce is not supposed to be a punishment. This, I'm tired of couples coming to me and they're telling me, hey man, my own wife had this conversation and, they, and she brought up divorce. Why? And I heard the conflict, and I was like, man, look, at brother, there, there's no real problems, but y'all need to be godly. Man, I ain't going to lie, man. Uh, your boy, Rick Warren, was tripping up there. But at the same time, he was telling the truth. But I think he, he did it in a reductionistic way. That maybe is not very helpful to some of us in here. He says, grow up. Some of y'all are like, what does that mean? How do I grow up? And I gave you the answer just a little while ago. It's allowing the gospel to really impact your heart. And so here's the thing. The, 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 the Pharisees were treating divorce like it was a punishment. Anything that would go wrong and displeasing to them in marriages, they would, they'd be ready to call, it, to call it quits. Divorce should always be the last option and a limited option in a marriage because it is dangerous to the marriage. So here's the thing. Jesus is saying the divorce that divorce is a dangerous thing in the hands of dangerous people. Divorce is a dangerous thing in the hands of dangerous people. I have children, and you know, three of them, really. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, I got a 13-year-old, and they all go through this stage where they can, you know, and let's just say hypothetically. Um, this is a hypothetical situation. Don't, don't, don't call family and children, you know, services on me. When they get old enough they're able to reach up on the the counter and they sometimes, you know, maybe grab a knife or maybe some scissors. You know, I didn't put it there. I don't know who did, my wife didn't either. Somebody put it there magically, amen? But here's the thing. They grab it from the knife from the cabinet and you know what a knife does, right? No one, there's no mystery about what a knife can do. It is dangerous, it is sharp. It is meant to do some damage, some harm to something, right? In my hands, it's used to to, to 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 cut up apples, to make a culinary artwork. You know what I'm saying? Amen. In the hands of these dangerous little sinners, amen. <laughs> it's used for injury, it's used for damage. It can put an eye out. It can cut off a limb. You don't know what it's possible, but it does harm. Divorce is a knife that severs the marital covenant. And its purpose is to end marriage. And here's the thing. In the hands of a dangerous person, it creates harm and injury. In the hands of God, it can be used for good, though. That's what Jesus is getting at with these Pharisees. He's going directly to the problem. He said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But it wasn't like that from the beginning. Jesus saying divorce is caused by sinful and unbelieving hearts. One's, uh, 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 when your one spouse allows selfishness to dominate their hearts, when their sin is unrestrained and unrepented, when a spouse attacks the marital covenant, we, that's what happens is divorce. We should grieve the reality of divorce, honestly, y'all. Divorce should be grieved because, because it's caused by sin and brokenness, and it ends marital unions. Here's the thing, divorce, just like anything, like death, like anything that happens on this side of eternity, it wasn't part of God's original plan. It was not part of God's plan for marriage. But in the garden, what happened? Genesis 3, sin comes into the world, and divorce comes into the world. And, and, And here's the thing, how do we know that in Genesis 3, Sin comes in the world and divorce? At the end of Genesis three, what did God do? God divorces us. We sinned against him, and what did he do? He separated us from him, himself, in the garden. But what was his intent by separating us, by divorcing us, by breaking fellowship with us, breaking communion with us? It was to protect us from the harm that our sin was doing and will do. He protected us from eating from what? The tree of life so that we would, we would live separate from him. God was he used divorce again for, for our good. Though divorce is destructive, God himself used it. But God used divorce for our protection. He allows it to, us to use it to protect ourselves. The tension of divorce is that it's a knife and it is dangerous, but God allows it to protect us from the dangers of harmful sin. Divorce is dangerous, but it is only harmful as it is in the hands that you put it in. Divorce isn't always harmful in human hands. Sometimes it could be necessary to sever the marriage, especially if the sin is severe, unrestrained, and unrepented. What I'm not saying is that marriage is to be sinless, because in marriage we are always dealing with the effects of sin. Amen or oh me. Sandy, you can say amen loudly. That's my wife. Because she got to deal with my sinful tale. She got to deal with all the stuff, all the baggage, all the harm, and all the hurt that's been done to Mo. I bring a lot of sinfulness into my marriage. And so does she. Just a little less. Amen. That's right. That's how you keep in good favor with your wife. (laughs) Make her look good. You're just a little bit of a sinner, Sandy. (laughs) And if we're honest, marriage can be very hurtful, can't it? It, it, it? You can feel like you are each other's worst enemies. Amen? See, when I speak about truths about God, y'all are like, amen. When I talk about truths about yourself, you need to be amen and just as hard. Especially about your marriages. Are we going to be vulnerable? Are we Are going to be real? I just shared with you something vulnerable. Let's get you honorable right now. You can feel incompatible, right? This is Rick Warren said. At times you feel like you've made a mistake or even you married a stranger. Sandy can say amen. The thing about marriage is that you are part of God's work in that person's life. And vice versa. Like marriage is supposed to mold you into the person God wants you to be. I was talking to Sister Janine Brown the other day and she quoted her friend. And I love this quote. And it said marriage is about who you become. You think marriage will be one thing, but what you go through in marriage is about the person you will become, the person you don't know you need to be. Some of y'all don't realize that God is molding you into his image, not the person you think you should be. That's it, that's it. (laughs) I almost threw something at her through Zoom. Growth is painful, and waiting on your spouse to grow is painful. Well, God does not change your spouse for your comfortability, nor are you on your timetable. One of my favorite books is by David Paulison, and it's called How Sanctification Works. And he does this in exclamation points. He says, if only there were one thing to make Christian growth certain. But there is no single key. That's a hard reality, isn't it? People don't grow on our timetables, but people grow differently. You You can't manufacture growth in your life or in your spouse's life. You can have all the ingredients, God's word, prayer, and community, but it doesn't guarantee the pace of your growth. You can have all the therapy and counseling, but the growth is a process that God controls. By God's grace, people sometimes change immediately. Sometimes it takes months or years. Maybe it will take a lifetime. Growth is a lifetime process. You know those vows you took when you got married, married folk? For better or for worse, there it is. There it is. A healthy marriage is not one—let me just say this. A healthy marriage is one where you are both growing, not at the same time, not in the same way, but you're not allowing yourselves to grow apart. Do I have to? I'm playing. (laughs) I got to keep going, brother. (laughs) I'm looking at my time. Y'all ain't got to think about the clock. Amen? I do. Part of the package of being married is dealing with each other's sin. There are bad reasons to get a divorce, people. There are actually bad reasons to get a divorce. I can't go through them because I don't have the time. And in those bad reasons, it's not a reason to get a divorce, it's a reason to get help. The best hope you can do and get for yourself is to live in community with others. Be known by others who can help you and help care for you and help encourage you. I know so many couples who, who have gotten divorced, one, because they didn't live in community. I know so many couples who've been saved by community. Y'all don't live my life. Y'all don't see what I see. Maybe you do. These are real struggles, and people are, are feeling real pain. There is suffering. But you can overcome it when two people are empowered by the Holy Spirit, are committed to change and letting people in to help you. Remember, marriage is supposed to glorify God by our commitment uh, and love for one another. It reflects God's commitment to his church. Here's the thing. Divorce protects the innocent spouse and kids from the harm and damage severe sin can do. Some sin has a way of destroying marriage even before divorce is even considered. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it's true. Because if you're out there doing some of the things I'm going to mention, and you do some of the things... Your marriage is being destroyed by you, not divorce. Divorce is just the final nail in the coffin. Particular sins can do more harm and more damage than divorce could ever do uh, to people in the image of God. They they violate the marital covenant. Jesus is saying sometimes divorce can be necessary. Let's not be self-righteous either about that. I was talking to a sister who had to go through something. She had to go through this. And she said, man, she was so self-righteous about divorce until she got one. Divorce protects the image of God. How do we know? Because God divorced Israel and Judah in Jeremiah 3, 8. Because they weren't bringing him glory. God God does hate divorce because divorce signifies someone has harmed someone by their own sin and the image of God is being stained. Jesus gives conditions for divorce. He says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. It looks like Jesus is caving in. See, I told you, Jesus, there you should get, you know, no, you can, you can write a bill of divorce. No, that's not what he's saying, Pharisees. But he's giving guidelines to divorce. He's saying this is what's permissible and this is what's not. That word "except" is important because Jesus is trying to limit the use of divorce. And he mentions sexual immorality. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, he gives an additional permission for divorce, which is abandonment. And those are the two prominent views that I'll get to touch on today. I know this is something that people debate about. But if you're if the, one of the clearest things I know by reading, and I did a lot of reading and a lot of research on this, that those are the two dominating views. And there's nuance. And that's the biggest challenge to all this, right? They're talking about this subject. There is so much nuance, and I can't deal with it today. I got 45 minutes, maybe 50 if y'all give me five. Like I said, there's tension, and the tension is that God makes provision for divorce, but God does not command it. God desires to keep marriages together. Divorce should be the last option after attempts of healing and restoration, like I said, both spouses can contribute to marital, marital conflict, but it only takes one to violate the covenant to give grounds for divorce. Needless to say, Jesus intends that divorce be used sparingly and with caution. Jesus mentions, mentions the permissible reasons to get divor- divorced, and so does Paul And one is sexual immorality. And what Jesus has in mind is sexual acts or intercourse with anyone who is not your spouse, whether it be a person or an object. Let that soak in a little bit. That word pornea is a broad term and encompasses many forms of sexual immorality. See, here's the thing: you got to understand that it's a covenant breaker. Why? Because sex is spiritual. It's a covenantal experience between two married between a married couple. And it's the establishing of a marital covenant. And by you indulging in sexual uh, acts outside of your marriage or with your spouse or somebody other than your spouse, you are creating an illegitimate covenant with somebody who is not your spouse. Therefore, breaking your commitment and harming your spouse in the process. And what I might say could be a little bit triggering and kind of hard for some people to hear. That does not mean the death of your, your, your marriage. We, the, God is not saying you have to get a divorce and you better get a divorce. He's saying, it's, it's an option. I've witnessed the restoration and redemption of marriages where one spouse has struggled with pornography or even one spouse has, has, has had a physical and emotional affair and I've seen God restore them. And it's not easy. It's a lot of pain, it's a lot of work involved and it takes real forgiveness and real healing but it also takes real repentance, real honesty, real ownership of sin, embracing Jesus in real change. Here's a caution and the sister helped me with this. She had to go through this and I won't quote her because I don't want her to be Oh, everybody be like I know your business. But she said don't put your hope in the possibility of a person changing it's in seeing the evidence of that person changing. I think we need to hear that again. So many couples come to me and say like oh I believe God can heal them but God can change them. Take some time. Let's see if God is changing them. Let's see evidence that God is changing them. With sin can come, with this type of sin comes deception and lying. It does. Anybody that's ever struggled with sexual sin knows deception and lying is part of it. And for the person who's truly repentant, they're going to need help. They're going to need to be committed to honesty and transparency. And they're going to need to have accountability and support. And let me speak to the, 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 the spouse that's been offended, the innocent spouse. There is a lot of care that you need. You've been betrayed. There's a lot of hurt going on. Many spouses have to deal with the insecurities and embarrassment, the hopelessness, even depression. We need a church that is ready to step in and and help them and cover them and love them because they are feeling hurt. And I want to say this, and I'm going to be quick with this, is that all sexual sin is not the same. And I can't touch on this a lot. And some of it is illegal and dangerous. It can call, and it might even be a, the absolute death of the marriage. And I'm talking about non-consensual sex in marriage. 1 Corinthians seven does not give anyone permission to take something from their spouse without consent. It's called rape. It's called rape. You don't. You can't force your spouse to do anything. It has to be consent. All you got to do is roll over, and baby, you. No? Okay. That's all you got to do. Sorry, I'm making it simple for y'all. And if, it, and if it is a problem in your marriage, go get help. Fetishes like pedophilia and other dangerous illegal fetishes. You don't need just help from us, the church. You need help from the authorities. Let me move on to abandonment because I ain't got time. You might got time, but I don't. So Jesus doesn't mention this. Paul teaches abandonment in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. He says this in 15. He says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. <laughs> Amen, that's pretty clear. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. But God has called you to live in peace. The text is not saying if your spouse is an unbeliever, then get a divorce. Because God recognizes divorce of unbelievers. Remember, God divorced. I mean, God... Uh, God uh, uh, God recognizes marriage even in the beginning, not when we get saved. The believing spouse can impact also the faith of the non-believing spouse. That's said in the text. The the text is describing two non-believers who got married and one becomes a Christian. And it causes tension in their marriage. It becomes hostile. And so the unbelieving spouse is like, I'm out of here. I don't want nothing to do with your God, nothing to do with you. And and, and what Paul is saying is if they want to leave, let them leave. Abandonment is when at least one spouse abdicates their covenantal responsibilities, neglecting the other spouse with the intent of moving on or beginning a new life. It's a violation of the marital covenant because a marital covenant is about vows and promises that are made that you are to uphold in marriage. They are spiritual, physical, emotional, and financial. If you abandon your spouse, it's a form of neglect. Neglect is a form of abandonment. But also abuse is a form of abandonment. I love what Russell Moore had to say. He says, an abusive spouse, in fact, has abandoned the marriage. Abuse is much worse than abandonment, involving the use of something holy, marriage, for satanic ends. Abuse of a spouse or a child is exactly what God condemned everywhere in the Bible. The leveraging of power to hurt the vulnerable. While abuse is worse than abandonment, it is no less than abandonment. It's sad today in our Christian culture, we want people to stay in marriages where they're being hurt and harmed. That's what I hear. We already know what's going on in the culture. You're telling people to stay in marriages where they're being harmed or hurt, to go back to a husband who will not repent of his sin. Some have made the argument this is only in the case of an unbelieving spouse, if they leave, neglect, or abuse uh, a, 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 a believing spouse. But I love T. Evans, man. My boy T. Evans said it in his book, Divorce and Remarriage, and I'm paraphrasing, that a spouse who bans neglect uh, or, 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 or leaves or is abusive is a sign of spiritual death of being an unbeliever. If a spouse is living in active rebellion to God, living outside the gospel, they do not respond to God's word, they refuse to obey and get help, they persist in their ways, they, they will not repent of their abuse, their neglect, they should be considered spiritually dead. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 5, where they had to deal with a situation where somebody would not repent of their sexual sin and their abuse, and they and the church had to make a judgment that they were they, they, they were considered spiritually dead. That's the co- look. You gotta have the church involved, my friends. If you're having marital problems, the church has to be involved. Community has to be involved. Abuse doesn't have to be physical; it can be emotional or verbal. Any form of violence in marriage should not be tolerated. Abusive people can be manipulative and play the part, and they can act like they're repentant. That's why you got to get out of there and get to safety and involve the community of believers and the the authorities as well. And again, divorce is to protect the innocent from where people's sin does uh, does more damage than divorce could ever do. And let me advocate for those who've been divorced because they've been abused and they've been uh, offended or violated through sexual immorality. There are people who have been harmed in our church like that. It was necessary for them to get a divorce And we don't need to stigmatize them, do we? We shouldn't shame them, should we? It's not their fault. And I'm going to say this to anybody who's been divorced, who's been harmed and hurt by sexual immorality or by abandonment or abuse or anything like that. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. God does not condemn your divorce, nor does he condemn you. He sees you and offers you care and comfort. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. He wants to remind you of his love and acceptance towards you. And you need to be reminded uh, that your beauty and your worth is not attached to your your, your, your marriage, the marriage that, that was that, that, that failed you, but to the God who loves you and will never neglect you. And if he ever calls you to remarry, know that you are for you are given that permission. And you need our encouragement. Divorce isn't for those who wanna get out of marriage because they're not happy in their marriage. It's to get out of a dangerous marriage and in a harmful marriage where there is no repentance and there's no change. And And when the marriage will harm or hurt a person in such a way that it can be catastrophic to them and their family and their kids. The question I think all of us are asking, what should I do if I'm considering divorce? First of all, get in community. Get around people, get guidance. You don't, look, here's the thing. Most people run to lawyers let me say something divorce is an 11 billion dollar business go on the websites and you can find easy access to get a divorce but you need people to care for your soul you don't just need a counselor you don't need a lord you need godly people to care for you part of the preparing for marriage or even a healthy marriage is developing relationships who will who will be honest and loving and who will be safe people who you can be transparent with i know many of our marriages have end it prematurely because they have not sat with people and gotten good counsel. To see if you truly have grounds for divorce, and I'll tell you right now, it's not easy. These subjects are not easy. What I gave you was a a very basic view. You, You can go and study for hours, and you'll realize that no one really agrees on certain things. But here's all I want you to tell you is don't rush to a decision when you're in pain. Pain affects your judgment. This text concludes with verses 10 through 11. I'm going to rush through this. And and the disciples finally chime in. You know, the disciples have been watching this like, dang, Jesus, you're giving them blows. There you go, Jesus. And they're hearing the discussion. They're like, man, why should I even get married then? Look at how marriage is. Don't nobody want that. Some of y'all single people are thinking the same thing. It's probably the best statement they could have ever made. Jesus' response was to talk about eunuchs. Ain't that weird? To talk about eunuchs, people who have dedicated their lives to singleness, to abstain from marriage and sex for a lifetime out of service to somebody else, without distraction. He mentions three ways people become eunuchs, right? And, there, and, and, and the, the one I'm going to focus on: and there are people who remain single for the sake of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Here's the thing that y'all need to know: the divorce rate is actually falling. Did y'all realize that? It's decreasing. Why? Because people aren't getting married. People don't want to get married. People are choosing another option because they want options. They want to indulge and have life the way they want to have it. Jesus is saying singleness is a gift, not to indulge yourself, but to serve the kingdom of God freely. It's a calling and nothing less. Jesus is giving directions to singleness, and he's cautioning singles not to step into marriage lightly as well. Marriage should carry weight because it's about worship. It's about imaging God. So marriage is just not a good thing, but it's a holy thing. Sinful people take what God wants to use for his glory and they try to use it for us, for our own. We are selfish, self-centered people. That's what causes divorce. We need a heart change. We need a constant experience with the gospel That will, that will so we will reflect the gospel. The Pharisees' hearts were Bound to the law and they use marriage selfishly. Jesus changes our hearts through grace so that we we don't abuse marriage, but experience the freedom to live selflessly and show grace. This means remind yourself to the extent in which God went to establish and keep his covenant for with you. Continue to walk in the reality of what Christ has done, his selfless act of love and forgiveness towards you, not just being aware of your sinfulness and repenting of your sinfulness, but receiving the grace that empowers you to live a lifetime of gratitude to the Lord, receiving a grace that that, that makes you live selflessly and sacrificially and receiving a grace that, 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 that warms your heart and towards God's love so that you can walk humbly in service and love towards your spouse. You cannot forgive someone unless you know the depths of the forgiveness that you've received. You cannot love someone well unless you realize how much Jesus loved you. For those who have been harmed by sin, in the ways I've mentioned, in our divorce, God affirms your divorce. I want you to hear that again. You don't have to live in shame and condemnation. Jesus sees your hurt. He affirms you. He knows your pain. And he's offering you healing. At the cross, you have your acceptance, your comfort, and your care from Jesus. If you know you've divorced someone wrongly, that's a real reality for people in this room. Know that there is grace for you, too. God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of resurrection. You might not be able to fix your past, but God, allows the, God heals your heart and directs your future. Allow him to. And if this stirs something inside your heart, I want you to know we need to create a space to help others. Some of us, we can sit in these seats, say, oh, that's a good sermon, that, or, or maybe y'all don't like my sermon. I don't care what you think, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it should be stirring something inside of you. Some people in here know they need to create space for others who need to heal from the brokenness of the divorce they've faced. Or maybe they're in danger, and we need to create those spaces, too. Every other Friday, we're gathering together for marriage enrichment. That room should be filled, because eh, let's be honest, I'm a pastor, I know some of your marriages, or I can suspect some of your marriages are in trouble. During the pandemic, there was a 5% increase of divorce. It is decreasing, but people spend a little bit much too much time together, babies were made, but divorce be, became more possible. And so here's the thing I wanna encourage you to do, create space for others. Understand that God wants to protect us from harmful marriages, but he also wants us to protect marriage. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for today. God, I know that this is a hard one for some people, and I don't want to act like this wasn't hard for me. I'm broken, God, before you. I have no answers but what you give me. To let those answers, the ones I Hope gave clarity for others. Lord, resonate in their hearts, change them, Lord, from the ins- from the inside out. And let them experience the grace of Your love and the grace of Your presence right now through Your Holy Spirit, Father. Change us all, Father. Thank You. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.